A lot of times we think that we're knocking down a specific target when we're actually knocking down an entirely separate target. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This is episode number 16. I wanted to mention right off the bat that if, you, if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you mind giving us a review on whatever audio platform you might be using, and that'll just help boost its reach and visibility. Also, if you prefer video format, we are on YouTube, so would you please subscribe to our channel, like the videos, comment, share them, and that'll also be a huge help to get this content out there. If you have any questions based on a topic I discuss or um, a specific episode, the podcast in general, you can send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you would like to financially support the work that I'm doing and join a community um, of like-minded believers, you can um, check out ryanholmespodcast.locals.com and subscribe for just $5 a month. And um, on Locals, it's like a social media platform. You can actually interact with people in the community, myself included, and there are additional perks as well. Um, So would you just, yeah, go check that out. That'll be great. And I'll link to everything in the show notes below so you can easily find those uh, sources. So thank you, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. You might be thinking, if you're watching on YouTube um, and you enjoy video format, that Ryan, things look different with this episode, and I don't have anything to add to that. It does look different. Don't like it, but it it's what we're going with, all right? So I hope you... Um, Regardless, enjoy the content today because today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's it's something that I haven't done in the past and I've never actually done a response type episode before. So this is certainly going to be interesting. This is kind of, I guess, a bonus episode as I recently provided you with uh, my listeners with an update that I'll be taking a break until the new year. Um, The reason, though, why I wanted to do this episode is simply just timing. I didn't want to wait too long after the episode that I'm covering today uh, was published. So I thought that it would be beneficial to get this one out there. So today we're talking about the recently published episode of the Preacher Boys podcast where the host, um, his name's Eric, provided the reasons why he has left the faith. A close friend um, actually shared this with me and you know, I'm, I'm actually not a regular listener to the Preacher, Preacher Boys podcast and I'll, I'll readily admit that, but I do know the basic premise of the show. Um, I thought it was needful that I provide my thoughts because a a close friend did share it, but also because of the overlap into the world that that I have been a part of. Eric covers abuses within the IFB or the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church world. Many of my close friends, peers, and family are within these circles. Uh, So so my hope was to be able to um, help may possibly be a help 
to those who might have been impacted by this announcement on the Preacher Boys podcast. Um, so that was, I guess, basically the motivation behind uh, the episode today. Um, and then, of course, once I listened to the episode of the Preacher Boys podcast, I definitely wanted to to get on here and um, unpack what was being uh said. So the episode I'm covering from the Preacher Boys podcast is entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. I think it's a good idea to unpack what is being said within this episode. And I want to make it very clear that there is nothing inherently wrong with the mission of the Preacher Boys podcast. I think shedding light on abusive leadership and situations of abuse is a good thing especially in situations where other leaders are willing to cover for those who are engaged in abusive or immoral or even criminal behavior, some who are even willing to bring other leaders on staff even after failures are revealed, those who are supposed to be called to a higher standard that are willing to turn a blind eye to real serious issues. I've actually experienced a ministry situation where I was immediately shut down for pointing out hypocrisy in a church leader, where I became the issue and not the pastor who was living inconsistently with what he was saying. My wife and I have had to leave a church early on in ministry because of a hostile, unhealthy leadership culture where I believe real spiritual abuses were taking place. Um, And I do hesitate to use the word abuse, because there's certainly people who have experienced significantly worse situations than what I've experienced. But at the very least, my experience was an unhealthy one. So I am certainly not against a podcast with the mission of the Preacher Boys podcast, but I would caution those who who do listen to this type of podcast. This type of content should not be the only content you consume that has to do with Christianity or the church. This really shouldn't even be your primary Christian content. I've actually cautioned a friend with this as well, Um, but if this is your only or primary source of Christian content, then the lens by which you look at the church will always be through this negative abuse type lens. It will frame how you view the church and give you an unbalanced perspective towards it and towards the faith. And I really don't think I'm off base by um, by saying this because, in fact, the host of the Preach Boys podcast says this at the three minute uh, and 20 second mark of the episode. He says this, quote, what's chipped away at my faith over the last two years has been really the nature of the stories I cover on the shows. Closed quote. He admits that his singular focus on abuse in the church has led to him abandoning his faith. And of course, if your MO of your life's work is to find, document, and publicize church abuse, then there is at least the potential that you'll begin to see the church as only abusive. Now, my intention with with this episode is not to call into question Eric's character or who he is as a person in any way. So if you are inclined uh, to use this as a reason to, to attack him as a person, then you, would, you wouldn't be justified in doing so. And if you're a believer, I strongly encourage you to refrain from doing this. I don't, I don't know Eric personally, so there wouldn't be grounds 
for me to say anything about who he is. I'm sure he's a great guy, so all I can do is assume the best of him because I don't have anything else to go off of. What I do want to do is address the ideas that are being communicated. My hope is to show what this type of argument is and what it is not. A lot of times we think that we're knocking down a specific target when we're actually knocking down an entirely separate target. I want us to understand that this type of argument is aimed at Christians. You see, you can raise a valid argument against Christians while Christianity goes untouched. This type of argumentation is aimed at Christians with the assumption that by default, Christianity gets knocked down as well. But this isn't the case. You see, every single story of abuse that is covered in the Preacher Boys podcast and every poor church experience Eric has had can be 100% completely and unequivocally true, and yet the truth of Christianity can still stand. Let me be very clear. There wasn't one thing that was said, not a single piece of evidence provided that could justify the conclusion, therefore Christianity is not true. Leaving Christianity because of the actions of some Christians, I think, is a poor reason for leaving the faith. It would be no different than me saying, I don't believe in atheism because I know atheists who are really bad people, or I don't believe in Buddhism because I know some Buddhists who are really bad people. I haven't answered any questions about those worldviews. I haven't shown them to be lacking in evidence. I've just assumed uh, them to be false because of the actions of some of the adherents of those worldviews. It actually wouldn't be very fair to those who are um, really great people who do hold to those worldviews. It would be a more balanced approach to actually engage with the worldviews themselves and the ideas that they hold to see whether they best explain reality or not. Now, there's no doubt that there is a emotional baggage connected to abuse in the church, and I do understand why people would leave the church over abuse. I hate that it happens, and it breaks my heart when people do leave because of, because of abuse. But even if one does experience abuse, they could still be leaving a worldview that is true. So my hope is to help you, the listener, understand that this type of argument does not undermine the truth of Christianity in any way. It just reveals how terrible some people can be and, and how terrible some Christians can be. And I don't disagree with that. Many Christians can be terrible and do terrible things even in the name of Jesus, which is honestly even more heartbreaking. And you might be wondering, Ryan, why are you doing this? Why not just be loving or something like Jesus would be? After all, Eric never said he was providing an argument. He was just sharing his experience. At the uh, three minute and 50 second mark of the episode, he actually does say this. Here's a direct quote. I really don't want to just get rebuttals to what I'm saying because I'm not presenting an argument. I'm just sharing my personal experience. Close quote. Well, I would like to point something out. His episode is entitled, Why I Am No Longer a Christian. I'm assuming that was intentional and not a misprint. So, he is providing you with the reasons why he is no longer a Christian. 
He is sharing the things that have led him to the conclusion that Christianity is not true. This is exactly what an argument is. So he sort of wants to kind of have his cake and eat it too. He wants to provide an argument for why he believes Christianity is false while couching it in language of my experience and at the same time doesn't want any type of rebuttal to the argument he is providing. So I hope you can see the issue there. I do believe there's biblical precedent for for what my objective is with this response. There's biblical precedent for Christian apologetics in general in 1 Peter 3.15, where the believer is called to give a reason for the hope within them. But I think there's biblical precedent for this type of response specifically. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul writes this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Notice how Paul does not say we destroy people. Now, I'm sure Eric has experienced the destroying of people side of things with how some have reacted to um, the work that he does and possibly even the episode that I'm covering. Um, This is what's known as an ad hominem attack. It's a logically fallacious way of arguing that attacks the character of the person in order to discredit what they are saying. So it attacks the person rather than the argument they're making. This typically happens when the one attacking can't respond to the argument itself. So it's much easier to just attack the person. So Paul does not say destroy the person, but the arguments. There is a combative feel to this word uh, as we are called to defend our faith as believers. That's what apologetics means, simply to give a defense. But we are to follow the 1 Peter 3.15 model by doing this with gentleness and respect. So I hope I can do that today, and if I haven't, you can let me know. Okay, now I've given you a brief maybe that wasn't brief, I don't know, but an introduction um, and explain the intention behind this response episode that I'm doing today. Now I'd actually like to dive into the content of the episode. So first, I'd like to address something that ironically actually wasn't mentioned in the episode at all, but it's something that is assumed throughout the episode and honestly throughout every episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. It assumes the stories covered are actual moral failures, that these abuses are actually wrong. But let me ask you a question. How do you know they are wrong? How do you know that abuse is actually wrong? If these are actually wrong, these actions, abuses, and whatnot, then this appeals to some sort of moral standard, a standard that we can use to judge whether these abuses are wrong or not. But where does this moral standard come from? Something that tells us if our actions are wrong and that we should keep from doing such things. Saying something is actually wrong assumes that we should not do that thing. We should live better than that. This means that there are things we should do and things we should not do. This is a moral law. So where does this moral law come from? If we are to say something is actually wrong, We cannot appeal to your opinion or mine, because we may disagree. We have to appeal to a standard beyond our human minds. But again, where does this standard come from? You see, laws always come 
from lawgivers. If there are things we should do and there are things that we should not do, it only makes sense if there is someone to be accountable to. If God doesn't exist, then there is no ultimate standard beyond the human mind. There is no one to be accountable to. So the ultimate or final authority would be humans, you and me. But then one could never say something is actually wrong. It would just be your opinion against mine. You may come to your own understanding about morality, and I may come to my own, my own understanding of morality, but you could never say anything is actually objectively or absolutely wrong. If you wanted to say something is actually wrong, you would then have to appeal to a standard beyond our human minds that could determine who has the correct perspective. But you'd be back at the question of where does this standard come from? So the only way for actual, objective, absolute right and wrong to exist is if God exists. So in order to argue against God based on moral right and wrong, you'd have to be stealing from God in order to do so. And in order to argue against Christianity based on moral right and wrong, you'd have to be stealing from the Christian worldview in order to do so. I do believe that abuse is absolutely objectively wrong. As a Christian, I can justify a belief in a standard of perfect goodness beyond the human mind that can allow us to judge right and wrong. And that standard is God's perfectly good nature. If one does not believe that God exists, they cannot justify a belief in absolute, objective, actual good or evil. If our human minds are the ultimate authority, then good or evil would be up to each individual person. So the argument of moral failures of Christians against Christianity only gets off the ground if God actually exists. We could, I think, end it there, but there's much more to cover about um, what was actually said specifically um, in the episode. Now, most of what was said falls kind of under essentially three categories. That's kind of what I picked out from the the episode um, because there's a number of quotes that kind of, again, fall under these categories. So he mentions the issue first. Um, Sorry, not necessarily first. They're not they're not exactly they're not um, specifically in uh, in order or anything like that. But he mentions the issue of true Christianity. And he mentions it quite a bit throughout the episode. For example, at the five-minute mark, he says this, quote, True Christianity has become more and more elusive and more and more blurred and more and more marred. I found myself beginning to question if true Christianity existed, close quote. He even mentions the positive idea of true Christianity through his experience at Fresno Church, where at the 6 minute and 43 second mark, he says this, it was where I felt like I got to see true Christianity. After all the fallout from his poor ministry experience, he saw the positives of the Christian faith while at Fresno Church. I guess that was up until the news of the leadership's moral failures. But this is an important topic to discuss. What is true Christianity? Do we have a misconception about what it actually is? Have we misunderstood what it is for over 2,000 years? Eric believes that at its very core, Christianity is rotten. At the 12 minute and 48 second mark, he says this, 
quote, the minute that I get my hands on what it is, speaking about true Christianity, I realize that it's corrupted. It's rotten to the core, close quote. So what sits at the core of Christianity? What is its foundation? Is it based on the actions, good or bad, of Christians? This is where I think um, we get a skewed perspective of Christianity. Let's highlight quickly what the earliest Christians believed. Paul quotes from an early creed in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3, sorry, through verse 6. This creed had been in circulation amongst Christians, estimated at around two to seven years after the death of Jesus. So this is pretty early on. It says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The core or foundation of Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with, to do with you, me, or any other mere human being. Christianity is not a set of philosophical principles or precepts um, that you either hold to or deny that defines what Christianity is. So what is the core? It's Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and ultimately Jesus' resurrection. So no matter if Christians act like Jesus or not, that says nothing about its core or foundation. Its foundation can still stand firm even in the midst of the moral failure of the believer. Eric says this, if this is true Christianity, speaking about abuse, I don't want it. Well, this isn't Christianity. And thank God for that. Thank God that Christianity is not dependent on the actions of its professed followers. It's based on the perfect life and finished work of Jesus on the cross. That is true Christianity. Jesus is the core. Jesus is the foundation. So although, yes, people have failed me, Jesus hasn't failed. Although I've even failed others, Jesus hasn't failed. If the object of our faith is another imperfect, weak, and frail believer, then yes, our faith will fail. But if the object of our faith is Jesus, we stand on solid ground. The byproduct of the Christian faith has never been intended to create perfect human beings. Why? Because it's dealing with imperfect human beings. This is either a misunderstanding of the gospel or simply a mischaracterization of what the gospel is and what the gospel does. Another issue, or the second issue you can call it, that Eric raised was the issue of transformed believers. At the 12-minute mark, he says this, quote, If the Holy Spirit is real, and if the gospel is transformative and changes people, why am I not seeing more transformed people? Close quote. This one does puzzle me a little bit. Um, my first question would be, how many transformed people would be considered enough for you to take Christianity seriously? I mean, there's what, something like upwards of 2.5 billion professed Christians globally. That doesn't mean that they're all genuine Christians because a lot of people misunderstand what Christianity really is. But in order to say that there aren't enough genuinely transformed believers, you would need to be able to assess the heart and the actions of each, um, of each one. And if you'd 
like to see more transformed believers, what would be the acceptable figure? How many of that 2.5 billion would be considered enough for you to take Christianity seriously? Also, what is the, the level of transformation you need to see in order to consider it enough? I mean, there's, there's brand new Christians, there's um, people who have been Christian for a long time, um, immature Christians, mature Christians. So what would be the level of transformation that would be acceptable? It, at the very least, comes across like um, Eric has taken on some sort of God complex where he's become essentially the final judge over the genuineness of all believers, every single believer's faith. This really does create an impossible and unreasonable standard that cannot be reached by Christians. I hope you can see the issues with it. The next bigger issue is, or the third one, um, if you're keeping track with me, but the next one would be uh, the issue of the fruit of Christianity. So the fruit of Christianity. He says at the 19 uh, minute 15 second mark that, quote, the fruit of Christianity feels so rotten to me that I just could not justify at this point aligning with anything in that realm. So I do think there's a misunderstanding of the biblical principle of judging something by its fruit. I think the misunderstanding is what is being judged by the fruit. Um, we'll get into that in just a second, but I just want to kind of humor the idea that all the fruit of Christianity is rotten. I mean, this is an incredibly bold claim. Incredibly bold. Are we honestly to believe that Christianity has had zero positive effects on our world? I mean, think for a second just simply about the scientific endeavor. What about education? Christian belief has had a profound effect on these things, and I would even say that the Christian faith, or at the very least, a theistic faith, was the Kickstarter. Think about the overwhelming amount of overseas missions work, global charity work, and, and humanitarian aid. What about the amount of work that churches and Christian organizations do nationally and locally? Whether it's crisis pregnancy centers or programs for single mothers or working with the homeless or drug rehab centers and programs or education centers, the list could honestly just go on and on and on. At the very least, it would be an unbalanced approach to suggest that the fruit of Christianity is entirely and completely rotten and that Christianity has brought nothing of value to this world. But also, what would be the appropriate amount of good fruit that would make you consider Christianity? Who determines how much good fruit is the correct amount for a faith system or worldview to be taken seriously? Is it really the fruit of Christianity that we can look to to determine its truth value? So if we had some sort of scale, would the good fruit of Christianity outweigh the bad? And even if it did, would that say anything about whether the Christian worldview was true or not? This leads me into the, the issue I mentioned a minute ago. Um, is it biblically accurate to say that we can judge the truth of Christianity by the fruit of the believers? At the 10 minute 55 second mark, Eric says that, quote, the Bible's thing is judge things by their fruit. So biblically, what does it mean to judge something by its fruit? What exactly are we judging based on the fruit that we see? Here's what we are not judging. We are not judging the truth of Christianity. So if we're not judging the truth of Christianity, then what are we judging? 
The Bible tells us that we will know them by their fruit. So the thing that we are testing based on the fruit of a professed believer is the genuineness of their faith. The fruit is the proof of a heart change. If the fruit is consistently rotten, then this is proof that the professed faith of the believer is maybe not, a re not really a true faith at all. This is a hugely important distinction to make because it reveals once again that the target being knocked down um, by this, this type of argument being presented is the target of sinful Christians. The truth of Christianity is still very much rock solid and still at play as it has not been addressed in any real way. Ultimately, Christianity is being judged by its abuses. It's a poor way of arguing, honestly. You should really never judge something by its abuses. You should, you should ask yourself, are these abuses consistent with this worldview? Are they a logical outgrowth or a logical application of that worldview? But if we are to dismiss Christianity because of the abuses of some, then are we going to be consistent with this type of reasoning when it comes to other worldviews? Why don't we look at um, the flip side of the coin for a second? It's been said that the 20th century was the bloodiest century of all human history, potentially more bloody than all of the previous centuries combined. Greg Kokel, one of my favorite Christian apologists, um, has this to say in his book called Tactics. It says this, quote, You'll find that carnage of unimaginable proportions resulted not from religion, but from institutionalized atheism. Over 66 million wiped out under Lenin, Stalin, and Khrushchev. Between 32 and 61 million Chinese killed under communist regimes since 1949. One third of the 8 million Khmers, 2.7 million people, were killed between 1975 and 1979 under the communist Khmer Rouge. Close quote. Dennis Prager has this to say, quote, more innocent people have been murdered, tortured, and enslaved by secular ideologies, Nazism, and communism than by all religions in history, close quote. So now do we simply dismiss atheism altogether because of its abuses? No. We ask ourselves if the abuses are a logical outgrowth of that worldview itself. And as a matter of fact, these acts that I just mentioned would actually be a logical outgrowth of atheism. If atheism is true and God does not exist, then there is no standard of right and wrong beyond the minds of us humans. So you can decide what's right and wrong for yourself. If there is no one to be accountable to or answer to, then you can live your life how you want. There would be also no ultimate meaning or value to human life. After all, we are nothing more than highly evolved complex space dust, nothing more than a cosmic accident. So there really isn't anything objectively wrong with killing 66 million people, or 61 million people, or 2.7 million people. But are the abuses of that unfortunately do happen in the church a logical outgrowth or a logical application of Christian doctrine and teaching? or a logical outgrowth of the gospel? Absolutely not. That's why we call them out. When Christians engage in these types of actions, we must call them out because they are not living as Jesus lived. They are not being Christ-like. 
presumably that's why the Preacher Boys podcast was, was started in the first place, because the actions of the abusive leaders described in the podcast ran contrary to a lifestyle that reflects the life of Jesus. Greg Kokel sums it up nicely with this comment from his book, again from Tactics, quote, since oppression and mayhem are neither religious duties for Christians nor logical applications of the teaching of teachings of Christ, violence done in the name of Christ cannot be laid at his door. This conduct might tell you something about people. It tells you nothing about God or the gospel. Close quote. Now, as we near the end of the episode, I want to point out something extremely important that Eric said. It's something that I, I do fully agree with. Around the 1720 mark, he talks about how his goal remains the same, to continue to uncover cases of abuse and that we shouldn't push these things aside. Just because that he's gone through um, this kind of public announcement about his faith decision, we should not be quick to push aside the stories of abuse. Christian, it would be very irresponsible for us to dismiss, dismiss what he has said and what he does say just because of the fact that he no longer considers himself a believer. We should be quick to come alongside the broken, the abused, the downtrodden, and, and show them what the, what the love of Christ actually looks like. Now, I do hope that Eric will eventually come back to a place of strong faith, seeing Jesus for who he actually is, and not basing his faith on a poor represent, representation of Jesus. That's something I will pray for, and I hope that you will pray for as well. But again, nothing about this type of argumentation actually gets to the heart of what he labels true Christianity. Judging things by their abuses is an easy and convenient way to dismiss a faith system or worldview, but it doesn't actually address the truth value of that worldview, especially judging something like the IFB denomination. After all, the IFB is only a sliver of a percentage of all Christianity. These types of abuses, although tr terrible and heartbreaking, are certainly not the majority. I do feel for Eric that he's had so many poor experiences himself with church leadership, but many other people have had poor experiences as well. I've experienced poor leadership, but those leaders aren't Jesus. We need to be able to separate the sinful actions of others from who Jesus is. And maybe we just need a more robust theology for us to be able to do that. Although this type of argument is emotionally appealing, I do not find it intellectually compelling or intellectually satisfying. Well, that is it for today's episode. I do hope that you found it helpful. I hope you will also share this on social media and maybe with someone who does find this type of argumentation compelling. If you'd like me to do another one of these types of episodes and maybe you have some other podcast or video that you'd like me to unpack, please reach out to me either on social media, on our locals page, or by um, the email that I referenced at the beginning of the episode. I really appreciate you tuning in today and be on the lookout for brand new episodes coming in January. I am looking forward to an exciting 2022 and I hope to bring you a lot more content and I just want to encourage you to keep thinking and keep living for Jesus. And if you don't hear from me again before the year is out, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. God bless and we'll see you next time.